Hey friends, welcome to the Axiom Church Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us and check out our episode. Um, this is a space where we post our, our Sunday sermons and occasionally we have discussions and conversations regarding life in this community and following Jesus. So thank you for listening and please engage us on our website axiomchurchaz.com or on any of our social medias. We'd love to hear from you. Take care. Um, but here's the deal. The, these two spectrums, if you will, of spirituality are, are, are very close together, but they're also quite distant from one another. And there is a felt space in between there, in between these two places that we call the relational void. It's the relational void. It's the space between faith and reason. It's the space between head and heart. It's the space between uh, thoughts and feelings. And that space is a void that the Christian church historically has uh, fallen short of bringing out into practice and into tangible form. And so we want to talk about this relational void this morning, this issue that's at hand. Now, we're actually quite aware of this void. We're actually quite aware of this challenge in our own life. In fact, last week we talked about it as we were wrapping up the last series. But I just want to remind you real quick, because I think it's a helpful text. This is in Matthew 7, 23. And Jesus says to them, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, that's a, that's a rough verse to come out swinging with, okay? But, but hear me for a second. Just leave that up there, Okay. This text is embedded in a space where the disciples and the followers of Jesus that he's speaking to have been faithfully doing the things that God commanded them to do. And yet, despite them doing all the things that God asked them to do, Jesus says, you came up to me and I still don't know who you are. And so what qualifies us is our relationship. It's not our actions. What qualifies us is do we know Jesus? Not just do we do Jesus? That doesn't mean that we should disregard what we do. That's not at all what Jesus is saying, and it's certainly not what I'm saying. I bring this up to highlight the fact that for Christ, the relationship matters deeply. And I know we're kind of going, guys, we know this. Personal relationship with God, it's really important. Having a relationship with Jesus, it's really, really important. But the, the, here's the, the, the rub I have is that while we say it's really important and while we confess that it's really important, what I continue to see over and over and over again are people that feel disconnected. How many of you ever feel disconnected? Three people. I don't believe you. How many of you practice the practices and the disciplines and you still feel like you're struggling to grow? There's a challenge that's alive in the church today that we have taught people what to know and we've told people what to do, but we haven't helped people learn how to experience the personhood of Christ in the midst of where you live, where you are, and within who you are, which is the place that Jesus takes residency, by the way, is with you. And so this disconnection in this struggle is something we have to work out and deal with. Now, some of us, it's like, I have all the information. 
I've, I've learned all the verses. I've got it nailed down. Ask me a question. Fire away. I'm going to respond. And yet, and yet, we are totally uncomfortable when it comes time for, like, confession. Intimacy. We'd far rather live in the place of knowledge and information. And some of us are the opposite. I'm all feelings, but I'm not so much understanding. Like, I get it here, but whatever's going on in here doesn't compute right here. And, 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 and I'm not, like, offended, by the way. I hear it all the time that people will say, like, dude, it's like your sermons go over my head or, like, whatever it is. The reality is some of us lean into more of spaces that are less rationalistic and more, perhaps, emotive. And again, this is the void. And what the void speaks to is that we have a connection crisis in our world. And it's the connection crisis that Jesus came to resolve and to put back together. When we look at the garden, okay, it wasn't simply an issue of belief or emotion. It was an issue of relationship that was severed. And that lives at the place of bond, at the place of intimacy. That's where it's at. And it's in our churches. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in our cities. It's in our government. It's in our marriages. There's a relational void that lives there. And you guys are aware of it. You've experienced it, tasted it, and touched it. How many of you like, know your neighbors really well? No need to show hands. How many of you know the people that you see at the grocery store really well? How many of you know the people in this room? How many of you want to know your neighbors? Or the people in the room? There's a relational void. There's a connection crisis. Social media amplifies this issue. Commerce creates it. AI replaces it. Attachment theory calls this out. That even from our infancy, that we need bond. We need connection at a deep level to, to live. To live. To not have it is to die. It's to suffer. It's to, it's to run out of error. And churches, not just us, but churches also uh, pile this on. Historically, for the last hundred or so years, actually a little bit longer than that, we have just assumed that if we put in enough biblical knowledge, we'll address the issue. And as long as we get that right, then everything else will fall in line. And while I don't totally disagree with that sentiment, the challenge is, what is it aiming at? And on the other hand, we have other churches addressing it by saying, well, if we just have enough heightened emotional experiences, then we'll address the issue that way. And so within the church, in the Protestant church, evangelical church in the West, you have these two expressions that are predominant, not the only ones. But they live in these spaces of left or right. I'm not talking about politics, although that could be said as well. 
but they're trying to deal with a issue, and the issue is connection. And my question is, are either of these approaches appropriate for dealing with the issue of connection? And I would submit no. And yes, it's a both-and paradigm if you're wondering about that, but it's also the point I'm trying to make is that it's actually more than either of those two that is needed. And if we're not experiencing this in the church and not understanding this, we're probably experiencing it ourselves. I mean, how many folks do we know that are treating their life problems with emotional means or resorting to substances to deal with voids? How many other people who maybe don't struggle with that, but they're cramming their head full of tons of podcasts and you name it, trying to address a connection crisis through knowledge and information, data. Both of these things are easy grabs. I imagine a table like this with two chairs on each end. One is thought. One is emotion. But what the table actually shares and creates is relationship. It's relationship. In Revelations 3.20, you can turn there if you'd like. We read this. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, I just let's hold that there for a second. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And Jesus says, I'm right here. It's not an issue of presence. It's not an issue of where God is. It's an issue of, is the door open or not? Have we opened the door? And I'm not just talking about praying a prayer. I'm talking about living in such a way that Jesus gets access to all the things that you get access to. Because that's what a relationship is. A relationship is what you share together. Look at a husband and wife. What do they share together? Many things. That defines their relationship. And Jesus says to us near, near the end of the book here, I'm right here. And I stand at the door and knock. And anyone that hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they will eat with me. A lot of us are eating alone. We're living it out on our own. Sure, we have husbands and wives and kids and friends and faith. But when we look at the big portions of our lives, we're facing it on our own. And we need to learn how to step into this or let Jesus step in to this life that we have together with him.
We need relationship at the center of our theology for Jesus to make his home with us. Tertullian in the second century asked, What indeed has Athens to do with Jerusalem? What concord is there between the academy and the church? He asked an interesting question. This is like second, third century, and he's saying, what relationship does the academy and the church have together? And Tertullian, maybe a little bit foolishly, tried to disengage Christianity from the intellect. And there it began. Meanwhile, you have other figures, Philo being one of them, who saw the intellects in the academy as the handmaids to good theology. And so even at the early stage, you have preferential means that are being established in the church to help people connect with God. But not just the early church. We've had it, this struggle ever since. We use means of thought, and we use means of worship. How many of you guys remember the old uh, end-time charts at the Prophecy Conferences? Anybody ever get to one of those? I went to a few. They were amazing. I wish we brought those back, by the way. We should do that. Now, have you ever noticed that those charts look... Whoa, there's a cross there. Those charts look su surprisingly similar to our kids' science projects at the science fair. Have you ever noticed that? I'm not trying to make fun of it. My point is that we're using the same metric and the same applications to get to our reasoning. Dispensationalism and, and a lot of the other things that came out of that time period, we're, working, we're essentially using the scientific method to create a set of propositions about the truths of God. The challenge here is that God's wisdom is manifold. And the mysteries of God are abundant. This is what the scriptures teach us. But of course, historically speaking, we were reacting to one side of the table. And so if we can just deduce this down to a set of propositions, we'll have our solution. And no surprise that throughout history, and we could get real nerdy here, I'm, I'm going to spare you, we end up swinging the pendulum. Enter, uh, generally speaking, liberal theology. Well, liberal theology is just theologians trying to <clears throat> liberate Christianity from a truncated perspective. Doesn't make it any more right or wrong. And what does liberal theology end up producing? Ethics, social justice, and emotive experiences. And I, again, that's too, too harsh to say that's all it's done on either end. But my point is that we swing the pendulum either way. We lean into muscles that aren't meant to be the whole. This is the challenge. And what we're left with is a complexity of deconstructed Christians, disenchanted followers of Jesus, barely hanging on. We're left with Christian institutions and academies. Guys, the Christian academy is almost extinct. That's the reality. You go into any Christian college, any program in the universities, and it's just about extinct. That's real. 
And I'm addressing that the challenge with you and I and the challenge with our family is that we have lost sight of the main course. We've lost sight of the communion table. We've lost sight of being together. I mean, think about it. How much do we witness some version of Christianity arguing with some other version of Christianity? That drives me nuts. I don't care if it's political reasons, liberal ideologies, fundamentalist ideologies. I want the most radical fundamentalist right here in the front row. And I want the most radical liberal right next to them. If Jesus is at the center. And Jesus wants this too, by the way. He dies to have it. He longs to have it. So, just to help us a little further here, let me talk about why relationship, because I think you guys get it. I'm beating a dead horse. How would you describe me to, uh, if, if, how do I want to say this? Describe what you can know about me if you never spent time with me, okay? Does that make sense? I want you to describe me as if you've never spent time with me. What could you say about me not having spent any real time with me? Does that make sense? Okay, so what would you say? And you could, tall. tall, thank you. You could say tall. Like handsome. I was thinking slightly overweight, but yes, handsome. <laughs> what else? Teacher. Oh, did I miss it? What was it? Ginger. Oh, ginger. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for that. I heard teacher. I heard what I wanted to hear, I think. You could say I'm a dad. You could say I'm a pastor. You could say I'm a husband. There's all sorts of things you can know about me if you never met me. Now, spend three years living with me, walking with me, doing what I'm doing with me. Now, how would you describe me? Thank you. No one else has to say anything. But I think you guys know what I'm talking about. The relationship is the piece that makes the difference. How many of you have heard about somebody and come into a relationship with presuppositions about them only to discover that that's not actually a good depiction of that person? Guess what? That's true for all the people that we label or think about or have ideas about. Every single human being is endlessly fascinating and interesting if we prioritize what's in the void. If we are seeking after connection, unity, love, to go a step further, look at any problems that we're trying to solve in the world. Look at any, okay, think about a problem you're trying to solve in a relationship that you have. This could be a spouse or a kid. 
And you could go to that person and you could debate with them all you want. And I can promise you as an expert in debating my wife, it doesn't shift her paradigm. If what I'm longing for is to see her transform and to take on a new thought, because I really believe this, guess what the only thing I have that has a shot at shifting the paradigm for my wife? It's my loving presence with her over a long period of time. Relationships actually have the power and capacity to transform people. So if we think we can have a relationship with God, but only in the context of knowing about all the things we've heard about Him, I would just say to you, I dare you to open that door and let Him in. To meet with you right where you are. And whatever you think you're protecting Jesus from on the other side of the door, he's, he, he can handle it. He can handle your scariest, your worst. Remember, he's been to hell and back. That's the God we serve. John 17, we read, verse 20, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that, they, that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our witness is tied to the relational quality of our life with God, not our knowledge, not our religious experiences, but our relationship. May they be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I love them, even as you love me. So here's the deal. The world's not going to know about Jesus until you get to know each other. until you learn to love your neighbor. And here's the deal. <sighs> Sorry, you don't get to pick your neighbors always, do you? And you can't love your neighbor if you don't know him, can you? You can't actually love him if you don't know him. But that's the thing that Jesus chooses to put on display to reveal himself, is spaces of genuine love and affection. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help us to get into that space, to, to explore its edges, to think about what your voice sounds like, to consider uh, your presence, to, to allow ourselves to begin to see you in the faces of others and to even see you within ourselves at work, God. Help us decrease so that you can increase. Give us the affection required, the grace that we need in order to love well. Help us, Christ, in that. In your precious name, amen.
Please watch this video as we prepare for communion.